We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Yes, it is a really big week here on Let's Go There this week. And honestly, I'm excited. It's the inauguration. I know. I can't believe it's happening. And we'll be covering everything right here on the show. Of course, though, on today's show, we're giving you everything you need to know about the inauguration before it happens. All the details, bells and whistles, and Trump's pardons, because he's pardoning a lot of people. Yeah, true. Um, But quick question before we dive into the show. Um, Do you have any inauguration snacks? Are you going to eat anything while you're watching the inauguration today? Uh, A a shot? Do do liquids count as a snack? No, not really, unless you're an AA. But um, that's a different kind of I'll be, you know, celebrating, maybe popping a bottle. Why not? Why not? And fries. You You know what I love? Champagne and fries. Great combo. Wow, how Beverly Hilton of you. I love that. What's, let's dive into the show. Get into headlines, please. Uh, all right, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President-elect Joe Biden arrived in D.C. today and participated in a national COVID-19 memorial service at the Lincoln Memorial ahead of his swearing-in ceremony tomorrow. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris reflected on the grief of many who have lost loved ones to coronavirus in her remarks at a memorial as well. We gathered tonight a nation in mourning to pay tribute to the lives we have lost. A grandmother or grandfather who was our whole world. A parent, partner, sibling, or friend who we still cannot accept is no longer here. And for many months, we have grieved by ourselves. Tonight, we grieve and begin healing together. Now, tensions between the outgoing and incoming president continue. Yesterday, the Trump administration announced that travel restrictions on the UK, Ireland, parts of Europe and Brazil would be lifted from January 26th onwards. And then shortly after, incoming White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki and the Biden administration said they'd keep the restrictions in place on the advice of their medical team. Mm. So you see, uh, yeah, the difference in how they're approaching this right away, even in this decision. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which I enjoy seeing. 
Yeah. Now, my pillow is in the spotlight everywhere on social media trending. The CEO, Mike Lindell, has received a legal letter giving him notice of impending litigation from Dominion Voting Systems after he and others made unsubstantiated claims about the machines. Now, again, there is no evidence to suggest that Dominion voting machines were manipulated or corrupted during the U.S. elections, according to statements from federal election officials and fact checking from several news outlets Again, we are reiterating. I'm that. just confused on how a pillow ma- manufacturing company is has to do with like what they have to do with the the election. Like I'm I'm really confused on this whole story, but I'll look into it. It's wild. And then also, Bed Bath and Beyond took my pillow products off the shelves, also, and Kohl's. What? This is so strange. Like, what does he have to do with the voting system? Who knows? Well, because he was like putting out there disinformation, right? Oh, okay. Well, then that's how you get him. That's how you get him. Are you willing to sacrifice your entire livelihood to be on the Trump side? It's embarrassing. Exactly. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Well, you know, we got to talk all things Gwyneth Paltrow. And apparently this Gwyneth Paltrow candle doesn't uh, didn't pass the smell test. Uh, this Ooh. is your tea report. Those pop culture stories that are trending right now. So if you haven't heard, Gwyneth Paltrow sells a candle called This Smells Like My Vagina. Interesting name choice. But hey, um, apparently a woman in the UK won this candle in a quiz and guess what it exploded into flames in her living room she said this the candle exploded and emitted huge flames with bits flying everywhere she said it could have burned the place down it was scary at the time but funny looking back that Gwyneth's vagina candle exploded in my living room Oh, my God. Now, a little bit about this candle. The candle was created back in 2018, um, and it cost $75. I will never pay that much money for a candle, especially one that smells like a vagina. I mean, yeah, definitely you wouldn't buy a vagina candle. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. That'd be like your worst nightmare. If you were in the in the good place, you know, that show, they would be giving <laughs> no, you that wouldn't. in your place. No, but, yeah, this wouldn't. is part of the whole goop movement right yeah. they sell overpriced products for yeah. people specifically women it's for sure a little weird a goop spokesperson had to tell the post in a statement that the that the candle that the woman had wasn't purchased through the outlet so they said we aren't able to verify its authenticity uh, they also said as a precaution we've alerted the manufacturer to the woman's issue and have also reached out to her to send her some goop products to help pass the days in quarantine so yeah I mean beware of Gwyneth's vagina candle because because that girl is on fire. Yeah, unless you're needing some of that. Okay, I hear that. I get it. (laughs) That's your tea report. I got more coming up next hour. I'll leave it there. I have nothing more to say. Okay, coming up on the show, all the details on Biden's inauguration, plus when Trump is actually leaving the White House, we've got those answers for you next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. President-elect Joe Biden will be inaugurated tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. We're going to be covering it here, of course, on Let's Go There on Channel Q. But in light of the pandemic, security concerns from the violent storming of the U.S. Capitol building, the ceremony is going to look very different from previous ones. And giving us all the scoop on that is Jackie Coppell, who's a political commentator. Thanks again for joining us. 
Thanks so much for having me. Happy, I guess, almost inauguration day. Uh, yes. So this is going to look very different than previous inaugurations. Already, uh, we're seeing a lot of things. I mean, I'll let you get into that, but we all know Trump won't attend. Right. Trump is not attending. Uh, Vice President Pence is attending. Uh, so he's breaking with his boss one final time before the term ends. Uh, none of the Trumps, are, I believe, are scheduled to attend. There was some talk of Ivanka showing up. There's also talk of Ivanka, you know, having wanting her own political career. So it was a calibration as to whether or not it would help her or hurt her if she went. And I guess they've decided better to join the MAGA crowd and not and not show up. Um, you will have all the other living former presidents, except for Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter mm -hmm. is 96 years old. So they have sent he and his wife have sent their best wishes. But I don't think anyone's going to hold it against them that uh, that they won't be there. Uh, and we are going to see it's going to be really different. Right. Typically, you have the inauguration in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and I saw it written. I thought this was very funny. Every president wants the biggest crowd ever, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this is the first year in presidential history where you want the smallest crowd ever. Yeah. <laughs> that means people are being safe and not contracting coronavirus yeah, I as mean, they well, celebrate. Well, speaking of that, the I mean, they replaced the crowd with 200,000 flags, which I yeah. thought was very interesting and, and kind of beautiful, the photos mm -hmm. that I saw yeah. of it. Um, but I, I think what's interesting is it feels so... It's kind of surreal or strange kind of ending this uh, this Trump era of some sorts because it felt like at one point that it was just going to continue to go on and on and on. So I guess what do you say to people who kind of feel that way, who have to, I guess we all have to kind of adjust to this new period in time, even though I just genuinely don't know if I believe that Trump era or Trumpism is going away anytime soon. Well, I think that you've actually seen, interestingly enough, with the with the shutdown of his accounts on social media platforms, I think you we actually got a preview of what life looks like starting at noon tomorrow, because uh, had he been allowed to continue to communicate, uh, we would have heard more and more of that pretty consistently. And yet he has, in effect, been silenced, at least in, in his most favorite way, right? He has the ability to call a press conference, to, to go in front of a national media audience. He's chosen not to do that and instead sort of hunker down at the White House. So uh, in terms of, you know, an official stop and start point, uh, like I said, we have a little bit of a taste of it because he's been pretty silent for the past, well, since January 6th. I mean, I guess he hasn't been totally silent, but you get you get the point. Uh, he's been pretty quiet, all things considered. And uh, I think that will continue. What we won't have is you won't have the celebration in the traditional sense. In some ways, you could argue because this is going to be so highly televised instead of in person, right? Instead of inaugural balls, they're not going to be inaugural balls because no one can get together and dance. So instead, there's going to be a big celebration on television. In some ways, the inauguration will, by, by being on TV and having sort of post-inauguration post celebrations on TV, you might argue that more of the country is therefore going to be invited into the party. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Jackie Capel, again, is with us, political commentator. Isn't there, though, a moment that we always see, we've seen it in pictures when Obama uh, moved to the White House, where you see the previous family there with the current family? I'm assuming we're not going to see that at all. Are they just moving today? Or like, how does that transition work? So typically, historically, it's actually really fascinating that the that outgoing and incoming, they do the photo op. And as they leave, literally, they leave to go to the inauguration, the entire White House staff in a matter of hours turns over the entire White House. It's so fascinating, actually. I mean, within hours, everything is different (laughs) and like bottom. It's uh, for the White House staff. It's actually going to be a more calm experience because it is. Uh, it is reported that Trump is going to be leaving tomorrow morning. Uh, I read that he is expected to actually be in Florida by 11 a.m. prior to the inauguration. So the White House staff will presumably have a little extra time to turn things over. Um, but there will be no photo op. Uh, as we have seen, unfortunately, the peaceful transfer of power that we have had for over 200 years is no more. That streak was broken on January 6th. Um, Obviously, he has the National Guard, 15,000 troops at minimum. So it's going to be, Washington DC is a very different place right now. Um, But again, for for Americans at home, this may actually afford them an opportunity to celebrate into the night in a way that typically only the insiders do at those balls in Washington DC on the night of the inauguration. So it'll be a different experience, but perhaps more inclusive. Well, that was political commentator Jackie Coppell. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Now coming up on the show, Trump's final day. Who will he pardon? What we can expect. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. President Trump plans to spend his last full day in office reportedly issuing 100 pardons or commutations. Meanwhile, the Senate will reconvene tomorrow for the first time since the House impeached Trump last week and will begin confirmation hearings for some of President-elect Joe Biden's cabinet nominees. And joining us right now is Fox News contributor Richard Fowler. I can't believe we're saying this, but tomorrow is the day it's happening. Thanks for being here. It is happening tomorrow. Our four years of Donald Trump have come to an end, Shira and Ryan. Amen. Yes. So let's talk about this uh, pardons list. Who would be on the list? So, you know, we're going to have to wait to see. From my sources, and it's sort of being widely reported now, it looks like Little Wayne will make the pardon list. Um, and he will make the pardon list because, it, according to my sources, you know, he's currently he's currently on he's currently being charged with some weapons charges, some federal weapons charges. Um, and we're not sure who else. Allegedly, there will be some criminal justice names that make the list, you know, folks similar to um, the lady that was released because of Kim Kardashian. So we'll see some of those folks. But we're not sure. Will he pardon himself? Will he pardon his family? We're not sure. We're going to have to wait and see. I'm I'm confused and I, and I don't know if this is a stupid question or not. But do uh, presidents normally ending uh, pre- their term? Uh, do they normally pardon a ton of people at the end? Usually, so usually the day before, a couple of days before a president's term is when you see some of the more controversial pardons happen. You know, in, in in during Bill Clinton, he pardoned some controversial people toward the latter. This is customary. But in Donald Trump's world, the reason why a lot of these pardons are raising eyebrows is because many of these pardon 
many of the folks that will likely get pardoned are co-conspirators in many of the crimes that Donald Trump committed himself. So when Mike, like Mike Flynn, who was pardoned last month, um, you know, Paul Manafort, some of these names that you've heard before, and the reason why you've heard them is they were members of the Trump campaign who were involved in, you know, selling our information to Russia and using Donald Trump's name to do so. So we're going to have to wait to see um, when this list comes out exactly who will be pardoned. Um, but Donald Trump, as we already know, has been a very sort of suspicious character. Uh, so these partners will probably likely also be suspicious. Definitely. Again, you're hearing from Richard Fowler, Fox News contributor right now, as we talk about who Trump will pardon in his final day. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there are so many questions being brought up here more than normal. Uh, and so... Oh, I guess, is he going to pardon also Rudy Giuliani, Stephen Bannon, his two close associates? Um, we're going to have to wait and see, right? Like, because th- there's no telling of who can, who will or will not be on this list. But I don't put anything past Donald Trump. If you can convince your supporters to invade the United States Capitol, you could do pretty much anything. I just, I guess I still don't really, this partnering idea, do you think we'll see it change, especially after we've seen a lot of things that Donald Trump has done? I would assume that both parties would want to put things in place that can't have, like, sitting presidents take advantage of the power that they have, right? Um, we're going to have to wait to see. I think there is some appetite on the Democratic side of the aisle to make some changes to how the presidential constitution, the presidential, the president's ability or privilege to pardon granted in the United States Constitution. Um, but I do think that you'll find Republicans unwilling to make many of these changes, um, you know, for various reasons. But then again, this is a Republican. Well, and, and I think it's worth remembering, this is a Republican Party that has really sort of fallen lockstep with this president until recently. Like yeah. this is the first time. I mean, now that like Mitch McConnell, the leader of the United States Senate, this is the real first time that we've seen him sort of really break way with Donald Trump, right, in the in the entire four years of this administration, where he said, I'm no longer a Trumper, I don't endorse Trump anymore, don't put Trump in my name in the same sentence. But for the past four years, many of these Republicans have egged Trump on, they've supported him, they've encouraged him. Uh, and I think that is something that's worth remembering. Yeah, but, the, but he still sent that letter to Nancy Pelosi, begging her not to follow through with impeachment. So I feel like he's still kind of dilly-dallying between the two. I mean, I think the big thing here with Trump possibly pardoning himself is like, does that mean he's saying he's guilty of something and him doing it to the family? I mean, the implications of that when in the end they can still be, um, you know, they could face investigation and prosecution in New York for their local and state criminal charges. So would it even matter? Like, Uh, I don't even know why we're maybe talking about it. I think it actually does matter here because there is, as this, you know, one, there were, because of the January 6, 2021, and the fact that five individuals died, and one of those, the police officer that died, um, his case is being investigated as a capital murder or a federal crime. There is a likelihood, and what the, what the Justice Department has said very clearly, is they're looking into in how, how his death was incited, who started his death, who caused his death. There is a possibility that, you know, the president's speech that he gave prior to the invasion of the Capitol could be seen as incitement. Um, and so there is the room for this president to pardon himself because of his actions on January 6th. Okay, that was Fox News contributor Richard Fowler. Thanks so much for being here. It's good to be with you both. 
Now coming up on the show, what this one rioter has tried to do with Nancy Pelosi's stolen laptop. I cannot believe this. We'll be back with more next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. As more details come out about what exactly took place during the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, it seems like a number of rioters, and we saw this, we saw the pictures, they tried to steal sensitive, classified information from congressional offices and desks. We saw that one guy with Nancy Pelosi's podium. Well, that podium has been returned. But according to sources, there was a laptop in Nancy Pelosi's office that was stolen. And now the FBI is looking at one rioter in particular who it suspects may have not only stolen that laptop, but she tried to sell the computer to a Russian intelligence agency as well. I mean, this woman has got the nerve to think that she could just get away with this. I mean, it's quite insane what all of those uh, domestic terrorists thought they were going to get away with, right? We've seen videos of them trying to get on airplanes and then break down in tears because they're either getting arrested right when they're getting off the flight or they're being put on these no-fly lists. And so it seems like they thought they would just be able to do this, which speaks so highly of what white folks in this country feel like. I mean, I've heard so many people say it best. You know, white folks are not afraid of consequences white folks are not afraid of the police and so of course they thought this was going to be okay of course they thought oh well we'll do something if you want to if you want to mess with us we're going to give it to you in the right way but giving it to russia what i mean russia literally is the reason why trump got you know elected in the first place how do you even find a russian intelligence agency is this like something like obviously this person wasn't that uh, smart to think that she would never get found out. But like, I'm assuming this is a pretty normal person, right? No, Who, of not course normal. not. All right. A sociopathic person, meaning like, I mean, I'm not gonna, like we're not she had ties to a Russian. <laughs> yeah, meaning, but like, I don't think she, it was like she had them on DM or a text. Like, do you Google Russian intelligence agency? Like, how do you get in touch? But that's what with I'm the Russian saying, Sheer. When we have these conversations about these encrypted, you know, platforms where they can do all of these things and move in these dark webs, anything is possible. And that's yeah, why there's such a danger yeah. with all of this. At the same time, I'm not surprised. Yeah, you go on uh, Parlor into one chat room and you say, hey, I've got something. Anyone I can give this to, I'm probably sure you get some sort of DM back or knowing the people on the ground there, they have some kind of strange, sketchy ties. But check it. This person, her name is Riley June Williams, 22 years old from Pennsylvania. And actually, she was filmed participating in the riot. And you know who actually outed her? Um, it's a tipster and former romantic partner of hers who told the government that he recognized his one-time partner in footage of the insurrection and that after speaking with mutual friends of hers was told that she not only had Pelosi's computer in her possession, but had at one point planned to sell the device to Russia's foreign, foreign intelligence service through an intermediary. Yeah. So there you have it. They're trying to look for her. They haven't found her. She's disappeared. She's off all of social media. So we'll see what happens. They'll find her in some way because, you know, those folks don't like to wear masks. So it'll be easy. Oh, all right. Coming up on the show, is it okay to have a spy cam on your kids while they are distance learning? Well, Jessica Alba seems to think so. More details on that next on What's Trending This Hour. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, Dr. Kyle joins us from Australia. She was the mom who was criticized for raising her child non-binary and allowing him to choose his gender. She'll be sharing her story next. And let me tell you, she is amazing. So stick around for that conversation. Uh, But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's departing message to the U.S. is that multiculturalism is not who America is. Yep, the outgoing Secretary of State uh, shared this message on his Twitter account today. The Trump administration wants multilateral institutions to function, to actually work. Uh, But multilateralism, just for the sake of it, just to get together in a room and chat, doesn't add value. Yeah, I mean, what a weird message to share. Yeah, and and this is one of the captions. It said, wokeism, multiculturalism, all the isms. They're not who America is. They distort our glorious founding and what this country is all about. Our enemies stoke these divisions because they know they make us weaker. Okay, so is that true? Is that really the case? None of that is true. Multiculturalism in the concept, uh, in the content, uh, I mean, the context of uh, American society is based off of it being built off the backs of indigenous folks and black and brown folks in this country. Multiculturalism is the reason why, you know, Mike Pompeo could even be, uh, you know, a descendant of an Italian immigrant so he could become the secretary of state. So it's just it feels embarrassing um, that he would say something like this. But let's look at it like this. Thank God it is his last day on the job. True, you say that, but he is being considered likely to run for president in 2024. So So that's not going to happen. Everyone's considered to run for president in 2024. Yeah, but uh, you could say that his words do have meaning and hold power. And Jonathan Allen, senior political analyst at NBC News, said this, and I think this says it also best. Definition of multiculturalism, the presence of or support for the presence of several distinct cultural or ethnic groups within a society. So basically, uh, this person represents the United States to the world. Um, And basically, he's saying that multiculturalism is bad. So you could see the problematic nature of these words. And yes, he was called out by social media for that one. Now, Twitter temporarily locked newly elected Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene out of her personal account on Sunday afternoon after the QAnon follower sent out a bunch of tweets that pushed election disinformation and incited supporters of President Trump to, quote, mobilize and make your voices heard. The Georgia Republican will be locked out of our account for 12 hours, but uh, further violations could extend that period to a week or even result in the account being permanently suspended Uh, So she tweeted this um, saying that all Americans, not just the 75 million people who voted for President Trump, they need to mobilize, make your voices heard in opposition to these attacks on our liberties. So uh, that happened. But right now uh, she is on a hiatus, I guess, until Twitter allows her back in. And then we'll see what happens with that. Now, a venue that has been home to a gay bar since before the Stonewall riots is at risk of closing permanently. The Eagle L.A. was opened in April 2006 in Silver Lake, Los Angeles, has served as a watering hole for queers since it was the shed in 1968. So it's taken on different names throughout the years. Uh, Have you been to the Eagle L.A., Ryan? No, but I know what it is. Yeah. So this is so sad. One of many bars who have announced this because of the pandemic and losing money to save the bar from closing permanently. uh, The founders, uh, the owners of it have started a GoFundMe campaign seeking $240,000. 
And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So uh, we got to talk about this because Jessica Alba, uh, people are questioning if she's the mom of the year or is she invading her children's uh, privacy? Uh, It's time for the tea reports, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Um, So on Friday's episode of The Ellen Show, Jessica Alba admitted that she has a hack for making sure her daughters, um, who are 12 and 9, stay on track during school hours definitely call them out if they're not paying attention. Um, I have spy cameras in their room, and so I can see, are they messing around? Are they focusing? I can call them out. I'm like the voice uh, from the, the ceiling coming in. Also, if they fight, I can rewind and really see who hit who first. Wow. So it's very good for that. So, as we all heard, she has no problem with checking out the camera. She's done put, like, spy cameras in their rooms to make sure, one, they're doing school, and then, two, she also makes sure, like, who wins the fight. Like, if they get to arguing, like, who actually started it, she just goes back and does a replay moment on the cameras. But a lot of people were, like, questioning, saying, like, should parents even be spying on their kids? Should kids also have privacy? My take is they're 12 Mm -hmm. and they're 9. Yeah, Especially at this time where, you know, they're uh, working, well, they're not working, but they're going to school at home. And I think you have to make sure they're paying attention. You have to have be able to have eyes in all corners of the house at this point. So I do think it's more of a thing like that. I, I think this is an interesting hack. I would do it. Yeah, listen, if you're a busy person, Jessica Alba, I mean, she's an actress. She owns her own company. She's doing a lot. I could see how she would want to keep tabs uh, and just in case something happens or they're not paying attention, you know, how would yeah. you know? Yeah, that's I what guess. I just don't think we should be like, I mean, it would be different if they were like 15 and 17, right? Like, Now, it what's would the be, age that that's okay? I think that that would be a difference. I think mm-hmm. the idea of like being 12 and 9, there's really no kind of sense of like, they're like, I don't know. I don't even think they think about privacy in the way that we think about privacy at that oh, such yeah. a young of age. But I think when you, as you get older and hormones and all these things that you're going through, I think that's a appropriate time. But I don't got kids, so I don't know. You're just giving our opinion. We're not experts. Yep. And that's your tea report. Um, I got more coming up next hour. Uh, now, next up on the show, this mom was accused of child abuse for letting her kid decide their own gender. The mom herself, Dr. Kyle Myers, joins us after this to discuss this decision and its impact. Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Dr. Kyle Myers is a genderqueer parent of a four-year-old, and she was accused of child abuse for allowing her toddler to decide their own gender. Now, Dr. Kyle joins us right now. She's a sociologist, award-winning educator, and globally recognized advocate for gender creative parenting. Also, the book, if that's not enough, uh, the author of the book, if that's not enough, Raising Them, Our Adventure in Gender Creative Parenting. Just amazing. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I mean, where do we start here? Uh, What motivated for you to share this decision with the public? Because this is obviously something that you were doing on your own and through your work. Mm -hmm. So Zoomer is almost five years old now. And when I was pregnant in 2016 and wanting to do gender creative parenting, I just couldn't find community, you know, or like resources about how to do it. Like there was no possibility models on Instagram for me to follow. And so... I kind of felt this obligation or responsibility 
of thinking gender creative parenting is such an important like philosophy and I think that it should be out there and I think that more people would probably do it if they knew about it and knew that your your daily life isn't you know so, so difficult and so just five years ago I just kind of decided to put myself out there as a, an advocate for it. And then through that, have found a lot more community and people who are doing gender creative parenting all over the world. I mean, it's so inspiring. And you, you know, some people probably are listening to this being like, well, it's 2021. Shouldn't people be kind of getting used to this? Um, what do you think about that? I, to me, it's not shocking the response that you unfortunately got. Um, but as mm. you're, you're seeing and you're thinking about a world that should be progressing, should we be shocked by a decision like this? Hmm. I I think that more people are not shocked now than even when I started doing this in 2016 and we were kind of the, the poster child of, or the poster family of a media hoopla that happened in 2018. So like this thing that's happening right now about like our story is circulating the globe again, this yeah. happened two and a half, three years ago. And the response then was worse. And so even being able to watch this happen, like the gender revolution is totally happening. And every year, fewer people are shocked because more people know a non-binary person or right, or like they themselves are, you know, kind of exploring gender. So the the backlash is less every year, oh, which is good. exciting that's... to see in real time. It's weird yeah. to be like, oh yeah, that's great. This is a backlash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have fewer trolls every year. It's great. I mean, it's an evolution and I give you credit for standing up for what you believe and doing this work and being on the front lines because that's hard. That's hard to really be the first. Uh, again, we're talking to Dr. Kyle Myers, the mom uh, who was accused of child abuse for allowing her toddler to decide his own gender. Uh, so let's talk about this because um, in a lot of these stories, you share how you went about doing this. And I think for those who are interested in gender creative parenting, they might wonder like, how do I even go about doing this? Where do I start, including uh, before the child is born? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so I think like the, the thing that sets us apart as gender creative parents is we didn't assign a gender to Zoomer when they were born. And now Zoomer at around four years old, um, told us that he loves he him pronouns so we use he him pronouns now but at birth we didn't assign a gender we didn't disclose zoomers genitals to people who didn't need to know so if you weren't a healthcare provider or like a child care provider we weren't going to tell you zoomers anatomy because you don't need to know like it is none of your business yes. and we don't want you to try to tap into this cultural script right of like oh this is the script I use for kids with vulvas. This is the script I use for kids with penises. Like we were just like, not about it. We want, didn't want to erase intersex folks and all that. When, when we used they, them pronouns from birth. So that's like the thing that sets us apart. And it's actually, we aren't that different than so many other parents. And I think so many other queer parents or feminist parents. And like, we just didn't want our kid to experience gender stereotypes and sexism from the get-go. And so I think the biggest thing was the language that we use, mm -hmm. the way we narrated the world for Zoomer in a really gender expansive way, like teaching Zoomer about non-binary identity and intersex folks and trans folks and queer folks and polyamorous folks, like from the beginning, so that now Zoomer's five and sees the world in a really queer way, which I think is the reality of the yeah. world, you know? Was that difficult? Because, you know, people, I think the one excuse that you hear is, uh, well, children are just not ready to have those conversations. I want to be the decider when they're ready right. for that. Was that yeah. difficult for anyone wondering that? 
Yeah, I think adults aren't ready to have those conversations, <laughs> right? Like kids are totally open to it, you know, and I and Zoomer, it's not abnormal, you know, for Zoomer to know that intersex people exist, you know, and so I think adults are a little bit uncomfortable. And I think that's on adults to unpack that, right? Like grownups, we need to start talking about why we're so uncomfortable talking about like gender and sexuality. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's just been, it's actually been a really positive experience. And I think so much of what we do as gender creative parents, other parents can do who assigned a gender to their kids, right? Like, just let your kid walk through all of the aisles at Target to pick a toy. Just let your kid walk through all of the aisles, you know, at Gap to pick a t-shirt. Like, stop, like, corralling kids into these totally arbitrary gendered boundaries that marketing teams designed right like not nature. totally uh, and i was gonna ask even though we have to wrap up uh i was gonna ask how do you deal with this at school how do you get them to continue implementing this because you could do this at home and then at school's a whole different world and mm -hmm. that can be confusing mm -hmm. so so we had really affirming supportive preschools so like zoomer was in the same preschool from five months to about four years and it just took some proactive education right but once we started explaining it of like we just don't want our kid to experience sexism and stereotypes they were like that makes sense you know like <laughs> yeah. let's let's get on board with that and they could see not only could the directors and teachers see but the other parents could see like having creating a gender creative environment is good for everybody you know and so they were really supportive uh, supportive of it amazing well that was dr kyle myers a sociologist award-winning educator uh and globally recognized advocate for gender creative parenting find their book it's out right now called raising them our adventure in gender creative parenting thanks so much for being here you're amazing Oh, thanks for having me. I just want to call you when I get have kids and just when I'm pregnant. Be like, can we talk? I'll pay. Yes. All right. Uh, coming up on the show, as many are looking towards starting families, what options are there for the LGBTQ plus community and those who want to do it on their own without a partner? We've got some of those answers for you next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. As we all set goals and intentions for the new year, one of those might be starting a family, and that could present a lot of challenges for those in the LGBTQ plus community. Here to help us navigate some options, including sperm donors, is Brian Hyde, client manager at California Cryobank. And full disclosure, California Cryobank is a client. What they do is so great, we thought we'd bring them on for this important conversation. Thanks for being here, Brian. Truly a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's get into this. What questions do people not know to ask? Like, what do you wish people knew about in terms of when they're looking to get a sperm donor? It is a great question. I um, have the pleasure of managing our client service department, and it's often uh, giving them reminders that in this business, it's a, it's a finite product. You know, it's not something that we can create and or duplicate. It's, uh, it's living human tissue. And with that said, we're talking about a very competitive market, especially today. Uh, there's an extremely high demand and at times uh, low inventory. So some of the things people don't maybe realize is that, you know, if they're looking to have uh, multiple kids and or more than one kid and they want that child to be from uh, the same donor, they may need to invest not only now, but in the future. I'd say that's our greatest challenge. I'd say on a daily basis, uh, we get folks who call in and want to purchase vials for sibling use only to find out that the donor is gone, is sold out. And that's a it's a very difficult. How does someone a, sell out, by the way? How does yeah, that even so, work? You know, mentioning that it's a finite product, uh, we, we only secure a, a, a very select number of 
Okay. vials to be sold over the course of time uh, to ensure that the number of uh, family units and or children that are born from a particular donor remain low. Uh, I think that's one of the, the, the fears in this industry and this market is that, you know, are there going to be a hundred half siblings for yeah, each Yeah, I've heard those stories. And so because the demand is high and, and, and folks, uh, you know, are drawn towards particular donors. I don't think most clients realize that, you know, they're one of thousands of clients in any given month who will call into our call center to buy vials. So when the, when the supply is low and the demand is very high, it, it does create challenges, not just here in the interim, but especially in the future. Yeah. And again, how do you work uh, towards supporting those in the LGBTQ plus community who are navigating this in a different way? It's always treating everyone with the you know equal kindness and respect that everyone deserves, and it, it's really on our end. It's it's about educating clients of that big picture. It's about asking the right questions uh, that they might not know to ask, such as what is your overall family plan? Have folks thought about uh, that type of question? You know, and and believe it or not, everyone's a little bit different, right? Some people are okay with maybe potentially having a future child with a different donor, but we want to make sure we ask those questions up front uh, so that folks can actually enter into this with a with a big picture kind of goal in mind. Again, we're talking to Bryant Hyde, who's a lead at California Cryobank client manager. What do people need to think about when choosing who their donor is? Like, how does that work? The easiest way to help on that is to use our website and the filters that we have for the donors, right? What's important to somebody? Is it is it a particular height? Is it someone's eye color or hair color? Is it their ethnic background? Is it their educational background? So there's all these different types of filters where my advice to clients is always to try to cast as wide a net as possible, right? Currently, our inventory is roughly 400 donors on the catalog. And every time you click on the, the little filter, you know, that 400 is going to dwindle down, right? So I tell folks, always try to cast as wide a net possible. So if, it, if that means you're going to review, you know, potentially 50 donors, but eventually you're going to narrow it down to say a list of maybe your top five and then from there, it's, it's, it's using the tools on our site to really be able to dig into their profiles and make a connection at the end of the day. Let's talk about at-home insemination, but I didn't even know that was possible. Why is this a very popular option for the LGBTQ plus families that you work with? I've been with the company for seven years. And one of the things that I've seen, especially in the past few years, is that some of our clientele coming in on, on the kind of the younger side of things where there might not be any type of fertility issues. And when that is the case, uh, at-home insemination is a great option. It does save you a little bit of money. So it could be cost-effective not having to uh, pay for the different, you know, the procedures with a physician or some of the highly advanced procedures such as IVF or ICSI. So, I mean, it could be, you know, somewhat cost advantageous, but at the same time, one of the things I remind my team of, and when I have the pleasure of speaking with clients is that there are licensed midwives and licensed nurse practitioners that will also go to, or go to people's homes to uh, perform even a simple IUI procedure. But the at-home procedure uh, can be done safely, effectively. We provide the tools uh, to be able to um, perform the procedure at home. So we, we, we give like, I think it's about a three-page uh, printout uh, explaining how the at-home insemination process works. We, we also provide a syringe that can be used for the procedure. And then a few simple little Google search YouTube videos. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find that uh, there's a lot of people out there that are doing at-home insemination and that there are resources out there uh, to kind of coach and guide you through the way. Um, 
But it's one of those things where it's not a, it's not extremely, it's not a difficult procedure. Again, that was Brian Hyde, who leads client services at California Cryobank. Thanks so much for being here. It was truly a pleasure. And you can start your search for donors today with a free level two subscription. Go to cryobank.com and use code channel Q for free 90 day access to view extended donor profiles, childhood photos, adult photos, and express yourself items. California Cryobank dreams start here. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Martin Luther King Jr. Day yesterday. Of course, everyone posts on social media. Our feeds get flooded with memes, including Dr. King's face, words, his famous quotes. But in doing that, in honoring his life and everything he's done, are we diluting and actually whitewashing his message? Uh, This is definitely something that came up specifically this year. I mean, this is a conversation that's probably been had for many years. But in light of everything happening right now, I think it was brought to the forefront. Yeah. um, You know, I'm not even going to lie to you. We're going to start this conversation very honest. I was praying to God yesterday that you would not post the selfie with an MLK caption or quote, like, because I feel like I've seen so many um, either white celebrities or just influencers or just, I mean, friends do that where they're trying to, um, they're coming from good intentions where they're trying to highlight, you know, a quote that resonates with them that they feel like the world should kind of believe in. But it's so tone deaf and it's so like gross that I'm just like, yeah, I just wonder, do people think about that? Right. And I think it's interesting what we saw yesterday when it comes to like the Republicans doing what they do every single year, even the year when they were questioning Barack Obama's, you know, if he was American or not. Um, they do it every year just to to fall in line with what they feel like MLK was preaching, but they don't practice that. It's not real. It's not genuine. Yeah, and, and questioning if systemic racism even still exists, right? And then in the same breath, honoring Dr. King and all the work that he's done and his legacy, Caleb. McEnany tweeted, today we honor a hero who embodied love and faith in his pursuit for equality. And then included this quote, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy from her. Yeah, I right? think that's the thing. I think it, it, it really falls on the on the moment that I just don't believe in anymore, to be quite honest. Like, I am having a tough time believing in this idea of we can believe in different things, um, but, you know, we should still come together like I I just I don't know if I believe in that anymore I think when you're starting to question people's humanity there's no way to negotiate with anyone that if they're believing or they choose to believe or vote for or stand with that you know people who are daily attacking you know folks for just being human and 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 you know not seeing their humanity there's just no wiggle room anymore right and I think I think that was fine maybe you know 15 20 years ago but even then we have to rethink a lot of that stuff it wasn't fine we just we had tolerance for some reason for for that right well it wasn't tolerance i think think it was you've got to practice what you preach yeah i don't think it was tolerance i just don't think a lot of people understood or had the language Mm, to express themselves right it was a lack of knowledge and i think what as we evolve in the time there's you learn other things and you learn what's acceptable and what you should not be accepting including once you understand that and if you've been listening and you you hear experience and information uh this tweet really 
really resonated. Robert Reich posted, if the Republicans in Congress tweeting MLK quotes today really cared about his legacy, they'd have already passed the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, and just finally, I want to just uh, share this tweet from his daughter, Bernice King, who said, please don't act like everyone loved my father. He was assassinated. A 1967 poll reflected he was one of the most hated men in America, most hated. Many who quote him now and evoke him to deter justice today would likely hate and may already hate the authentic King. I mean, so that, if you really read chills. into that story, I mean, you'll find out some very interesting stuff. And yeah, I'll just leave it at that. All right. Well, coming up on the show, Melania's goodbye message to America. That's next on What's Training This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Up on the show, details on what we can expect from the inauguration tomorrow. Plus, now that social media platforms are holding users, including President Trump, accountable, who's holding them accountable? The Washington Post is here for that in just a bit. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said today that the mob that attacked the Capitol was provoked by President Trump, placing part of the responsibility on him for the deadly riot. Now, the Senate is preparing for an impeachment trial on whether to convict the president for incitement of insurrection and potentially disqualify him from holding office in the future. Here's what McConnell had to say. The last time the Senate convened, we had just reclaimed the Capitol from violent criminals who tried to stop Congress from doing our duty. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. Now, of course, this is a bit different than the past four years where he has pretty much sided with President Trump. So we are seeing a different side of McConnell right now, I think. Uh, I mean, he's never putting his, like, actions, like, you know, where his money where his mouth is, in my opinion. I think he's always saying these things and, and saying he's speaking up all of a sudden. But if he really meant that, then Donald Trump would have been out the office that day or that week. Like, there's a lot of things that his actions could have done if he actually meant mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Too little, too late, as we all say. Now, First Lady Melania Trump on Monday released a nearly seven-minute farewell message urging Americans to choose love over hatred and peace over violence. As Donald and I conclude our time in the White House, I think of all of the people I have taken home in my heart and their incredible stories of love, patriotism, and determination. I ask every American to be an ambassador of Be Best to focus on what unites us, to raise above what divides us, to always choose love over hatred, peace over violence, and others before yourself. Now, she does not directly mention the Capitol attack, but is asking all of us to be peaceful while broadly condemning violence. Her chief of staff, Stephanie Grisham, was one of the first White House aides to resign over the president's actions last week. And the first lady did use the video to promote her Be Best initiative and reflected on her engagements with veterans and people suffering with drug addiction as well during this video. Now, President Trump, if you're wondering what he's doing tomorrow, he's hosting a goodbye ceremony early Wednesday at Joint Base Andrews before boarding Air Force One for a final flight to Florida. 
And finally, the U.S. recorded 1.5 million new COVID-19 cases in the past seven days, according to the most recent data from Johns Hopkins University. It's an 11 percent drop from the previous week. Cases declined in 35 states week over week, and 18 states saw a drop in the number of deaths. Over the past month, the number of new COVID-19 cases recorded each day has ranged from nearly 101,000 to more than 302,000 over the past seven days. Uh, So I guess that is some good news. But I have news about the mutant COVID coming out of California. Oh, God. Yeah, please. According to The New York Times, in late December, scientists in California began searching coronavirus samples for that fast-spreading new variant that had just been found in Britain. Well, they found it only in a few samples and discovered this. California had produced a variant of its own. That mutant seems to have popped up in July, but lay low till November. This is according to the article. Then it began to quickly spread. It's uh, referenced as CAL.20C, CAL.20C, and it accounted for more than half of the virus genome samples collected in Los Angeles laboratories on January 13th, according to that study. So this is really interesting, and it might be the reason why there is that huge surge here yeah. in California. Hmm. Stay Watch home, out, and folks. Yes. You even said you know someone who uh, got it at, like, the grocery store. He hadn't yeah. been anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Been, he went to Trader Joe's, but he's asymptomatic. I'm not sure if it's yeah. the mutant COVID, but who knows, he yeah. most definitely is dealing with that right now. Yeah, just going, it's getting spread really quickly. So, yes, be careful out there, those in California and really everywhere for that matter. Uh, but that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? So, so much for please respect our privacy. Um, we got to dive in into the latest on the Kim Kardashian, Kanye West marriage issue saga. This is your tea report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. So, there's a lot of sources flying around. And I guess a source with knowledge of the show said, that guess what they're actually going to show um you know they've actually filmed the marriage problems with kanye kim filmed them and so we're going to kind of see it play out in the final episodes of keeping up with the kardashian a source with the knowledge of their show said the uh, disintegration of Kim and Kanye's marriage will be featured heavily in the final storyline as they make their exit from the reality show. They also said the Kardashians intend to go out with a bang. They filmed Kim discussing her marriage problems, uh, but everyone uh, involved is on a non-disclosure agreement because the finale won't screen, like won't come to screens until later in 2021. Um, So yeah, I mean, this is going to be crazy. You know, Paige, six if you're not familiar with any of this revealed that kim and kanye had separated and are negotiating the terms of a divorce after nearly seven years of marriage of course they have four children it's just a lot going on there's a lot of sources but they i'm wondering if they're going to drop the big piece of information about like hey we are our statements here towards the end of the finale of the actual show like it seems like it's a whole marketing thing at this point yeah leave it to kanye and kim to market their divorce yeah i mean what celebrity doesn't i mean anytime they release these statements or people.com covers it i mean that's literally kind of celebrity culture but what i was gonna say have you heard the gossip that she might be with van jones or fans want her to be with van jones no one wants that, and I think that's a fan thing. That wasn't, like, actually real tea. Um, because, you know, I would okay. know over here the tea report. But anyway, if y'all want to know more about this story, head over to weirdchannelq.com. And, of course, keep us followed at 
LGT show everywhere. All right, coming up, while social media platforms are taking a stand against Trump and conspiracy theorists, who's keeping tabs on them? We're getting into that next with The Washington Post. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. So if Twitter and Facebook can police the president, who's going to police them? We're here to navigate this pretty complex question is Craig Timberg, national tech reporter for The Washington Post, specializing in privacy, security and surveillance. Thanks again for being here. It's my pleasure. Nice to see you both again. Yes, nice to see you as well. So I guess where do we land this week right now with all of this? I mean, he's still off the platforms. He's obviously using at White House to continue to uh, post some videos. But where will it be after tomorrow? Boy, your guess is as good as mine on that one. I, I presume he'll find a social media home or he'll create a social media home because the Twitter account was really central to everything he did and all of his power. But we don't really know yet where he's going to land. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is the conversation that we're obviously about to dive into is about kind of who's going to police these third party platforms. And I think what shocked a lot of people is this understanding of that guess what they can do whatever they want right but what's some of the 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 other side of that like what's the negative like the cons to that because if they can decide to just take anyone off what does that mean for the rest of you know people who are trying to use the platform what does that really say these issues get really tricky really quickly for me uh you know there's a lot of invoking of the first amendment and all that uh and of course as everyone seems to always forget, the First Amendment limits what the government can do. So the government can't squelch Twitter, but Twitter can squelch the president. That's completely constitutional. But as you allude to, there's not any natural um, you know, governor on what these private companies can do. There's certain limits, right? There's like child pornography and such that, that are against the law and could get them in trouble. But by and large, they have a huge amount of latitude to run their businesses the way they want to. And we, we're all kind of living in Twitter's world or in Mark Zuckerberg's world. Um, you know, we, we, we communicate on the platforms they're created. And in the end, we don't have a lot of say on how they run them. Again, uh, we're talking to Craig Timberg, national tech reporter for the Washington Post. I, I guess with that said, isn't the government or Congress figuring out ways to police these platforms and make sure that they are held accountable? Because just because they make the, made these decisions, which some deem as the right decision, doesn't mean they're always going to be ethical. Yeah, it's not entirely clear to me what the government can do, frankly. You know, there's lots of things you can do on other issues, right? If you're going to argue that Facebook is a monopoly because it's hugely powerful in social media and also owns Instagram and WhatsApp. Like those are issues for which there's a legal architecture they can use and are trying to use. It's antitrust law. But antitrust law doesn't allow you to tell them who who's on their platform and who's not on their platform. So it's not like they're like it's not like they get, they live in a completely lawless world. But these issues of speech, they have a huge amount of latitude. And there's a law that was written in the 90s um, called the Communications Decency Act that specifically gives the platforms huge immunity to carry what they want to. Like, so I, for example, I could say something defamatory and on Twitter and I could get sued, but Twitter couldn't get sued, right? Whereas if the Washington Post carried something defamatory that I wrote, I would get sued and the Washington Post would get sued, right? So this sort of like the way the laws are written really um, leave the platforms with a lot of leeway to make these roles how they want to and change them when they want to, as they recently did. I do wonder though, if 
as we've seen, I mean, it's been a week since the Capitol riot, and I wonder how this shifts conversations on how we kind of, you know, view online power, because it, it feels like a lot of the response was that it was shocked that it got to this point, but it seems like there were all these little seeds that were planted to get us to this moment that exploded. And so, like, do you think there's going to be a restructuring on how we are viewing this, the the growing power of, you know, people online and the conspiracy? theories and the QAnons and all of this? Yeah, there's going to, there's a lot of anxiety around this. And there's a, you know, one thing that struck me a couple of years ago is that, you know, like Facebook is one of the richest, most powerful companies in the world, but they have like no friends on Capitol Hill anymore. Like the Democrats are furious at them and the Republicans are furious at them. And while they're furious at them for sort of different things, um, they've made a lot of enemies in the past few years. That's true of the other companies as well. But just because politicians are mad, doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. And the constitution is the constitution. The first amendment gives the government, it really limits the government's ability to crack down on what social media companies or any private companies permit by way of free speech. So um, I don't know. It's hard for me. It's, you know, the real power here may really lie in the hands of advertisers. I mean, one of the things we saw in Mm. the past couple of years is that, you know, is that the Fords and the Disney's and the whatever's of the world really stopped advertising uh, with companies when, when, for example, when there are a bunch of ISIS videos on YouTube, they got mad, right? When there was a bunch of sort of like what appeared to be sort of vaguely child pornography things on YouTube, advertisers got mad and they withheld their dollars. Like that, that really works, right? The market has power and we as customers have power. Yeah. But really, the federal government's power is kind of limited here. Or maybe like a bipartisan, um, independent organization that polices these platforms like set up somehow, but that's just an idea. I don't know. Authority though. Right. I mean, (laughs) you you need to have, you need to have power that the, that the bipartisan entity could wield. And if the federal government tells, you know, Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, what can be on their platforms, they're going to end up in court and they're going to lose. All right. Well, that was Craig Timberg, national tech reporter for the Washington post. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Good to see you both. You too. Now coming up on the show, the inauguration tomorrow that will be unlike any other before. And we've got those details of what to expect next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Wrapping up the show with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes Queen. President-elect Joe Biden announced today that he will nominate Pennsylvania's top health official, Rachel Levine, to be his assistant secretary of health. Levine is a pediatrician, and she would become the first openly transgender federal official to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Huge. Uh, This is a statement that Biden made. Dr. Rachel Levine will bring the city leadership and essential expertise that we need to get people through this pandemic, no matter their zip code, race, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity or disability and meet the public health needs of our country in this critical moment and beyond. She is a historic and deeply qualified choice to help lead our country right now. Now, Levine serves as Pennsylvania's Secretary of Health and has been leading the state's public health response to the pandemic. And uh, Biden's transition team noted that Levine, who was appointed by Governor Tom Wolf in 2017, was confirmed three times by the Republican-controlled state Senate to serve as Secretary of Health and the state's physician general. So she basically is super legit. She's been around. She knows what she's doing. And this is huge for the community to have that representation in the White House right now. 
I never thought you would describe it as super legit. <laughs> I think anyone too legit in to this quit position would be <laughs> legit. Um, but I think it's incredible as we have talked here on this show, uh, almost at a point where it becomes daily of the rights that this old administration leaving the White House has done to take away so many rights for LGBTQ folks, so especially trans folks, and to know that there is literally uh, going to be the first openly trans fed official that's working in health care is just incredible my only wish and I'm hoping that she also makes that and she's looking at it from an intersectional lens as well because mm-hmm. there's so many black trans folks out there who um, are disproportionately not able to uh, come to actually have the health care that they need and deserve or have the resources to even get it. And so I think this is such a beautiful start. Joe Biden should get all the the pats on the backs for this uh, decision because this is what we're talking about when we discuss being progressive and putting the right people in these positions. And so, yeah, I'm excited. Just gives me another reason to be more excited for him to be in office finally. Yes. So Yaz Queen to Dr. Rachel Levine today. Yes, Queen. And finally, it's Dolly Parton's birthday, 75 years young. We are wishing her all the best today. And she just keeps doing it. She keeps doing amazing work, whether it be her music to philanthropy. And in honor of her birthday, here's some life advice from Dolly herself. You are enough. And anyone who tells you otherwise isn't worth your time. If I, have- I love that. She's just awesome. So we just wanted to include that in our Yes Queen too today. And that does it for our show today in our Yes Queen of the day. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for another Queen? Yes Queen. Ryan, I already, I've already done it twice. That's why I was like, now we're, oh, over, yeah. okay. we're overdoing it. We're overkilling we're overdoing it. it. It's, like yeah, right. does, it's like this is Shira's first day on the show. She doesn't remember how you know, to do anything. Well, it was somewhat of a long weekend. So give me a little break here. Or maybe if you have shots and then they could just take a shot every time we say Yes Queen. Anyway, we are back tomorrow. Tomorrow is a big show. Biden's inauguration. We're going to be bringing you all the action and coverage right here on Let's Go There. You can expect a lot. That's all I can say. Um, And also some music. So we would like to balance it out here. And if you miss any of our shows, we have a podcast. We post everything as a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app and where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. Now we are sending you love and lights. And honey, remember to slay. See you tomorrow. Have a great night and stay tuned for Love Line with Dr. Chris right after this. Bye, y'all.